You're listening to Social Misfit. What's going on, Misfits? Welcome to another Misfit Moment. That's right. It's just me and only me. And I am coming to you live. Well, of course it's live because I'm alive. But I'm coming to you from North Dakota. Yes. It is the time of year when I hit the road nonstop performing for college students across the country. And this is not my first time in North Dakota. Actually, I've been here before. Previously, when I was here, I was here doing February Black History Month when I am in high demand. And let me tell you something. I woke up one morning. I looked at my phone It said minus 27 degrees. I said, I think the fuck not. And it was minus. I mean, it was to the point where I literally, you know how you see in movies where like a person wakes up and then they see something and then they rub their eyes like this can't be real. Like I literally rub my eyes like a cartoon character. I was like, no, this can't be real. Minus 27. Yes, it was. And let me tell you something. Those kids, college kids will go into class and like a windbreaker and some skips. Now I was out there with my LL Bean get up my duck boots and my Elma foot hat, but they was like, no, once it gets a certain cold, it just feels the same. I don't like wearing jackets. I was like, okay, well, we know, we know you've been trained for the tundra, but uh, this sister has not been, but now it's nice. You know, North Dakota is just flatlands. It really is. It's nothing but flatlands and grass and cornfields and cows there's some cows that are right next to the airport so when I landed in Fargo and got my rental car I drove off the lot and there was a couple cows right there and then I keep moving and now I'm in southern North Dakota for a show that I just had so I'm in my hotel room kicking it chilling and I felt compelled to hit the microphone up and I don't know why I feel like I need to do this whole thing over again because my energy, I shouldn't have laid down. That's what it is. I got two pillows underneath me and I'm like laid down chill mode and I'm really waiting for the heat to turn up in here because I'm cold. I'm first of all, I'm always cold in the hotel room. I always, always cold. And so most times, you know how they have it on automatic AC, I will come in and turn that AC off and I've had it off for a couple hours, but it's still cool because you know the building still has ac so now mama has the heat on and it's that type of ac unit heat unit that when you put the heat on it smells like a freshly heated up hot comb you know that smell when your mama used to press your hair on the weekends for church on sunday and so she would press your hair saturday night wash your hair press it put a bunch of grease in it and then you sit in the kitchen and she put that hot comb in the fire and it smelled like singed chicken and Queen Helene, that's what the heater smells like. I wanted to get on here because I'm going to be in a road a lot. So I might as well get a bunch of these done because I want to kind of chronicle what I'm experiencing. A lot of times people ask me, like, what's it like on the road? And what's this city like? Or do you feel safe? And and I honestly have to say in the five years that I've been crisscrossing this country performing, I have never really felt unsafe. Like there's been moments where like, 
you may meet eyes. For example, I um I was in a hotel. I'm actually in the same, not the same, but the same brand hotel. It's called American. That's how you know you are out here in these states, okay? Because you start hearing uh, hotel chains that you don't hear nowhere else. So there's a chain of hotels in the Midwest called American, A-M-E-R-I-C-I-N-N, American. I mean, it's pretty, it's actually a pretty decent name. But I mean, as you imagine, it's no frills. Um, there's no gym. Um, there's a nice little breakfast nook where you can get breakfast from six to 10, which is just like the waffle machine and, you know, oatmeal, basically, you know, continental stuff, nothing too crazy. Whenever you come in here, the person who works at the front desk is never there because they're also in the back folding towels and washing linens. I mean, that's like how no frills it is. So I was at an American, not this one, but another one when I was on the road and I was walking down the hallway and I made a turn to go into the little breakfast room, right? And as I turned into the breakfast room, this white guy, this older white man is coming out. So we kind of, you know, stand in front of each other, but he like jumped back. Like he literally like, like got spooked by seeing me and took a jump back like he ain't never in his life seen a black person in person and I just had to chuckle and like he you know turned sideways and walked past me but I was like you know what it's not that serious but then I also realized that I'm in like a state where people really don't see people of color like they'll see a Mexican person before they see a black person so I understand it's all about your experiences and where you live and all that stuff so, but for the most part, when I'm on a road, I feel pretty safe. I don't feel like anything bad is going to happen to me. I mean, I'm a big bitch, so ain't nobody tying me up and stick me in a trunk. You know, I can fight. I've taken self-defense classes, you know, here or there. So I'm, I'm okay with my hands. So I feel like I'm privileged in the fact that I am 6'1", so I don't have to deal with a lot of the nonsense that comes with being a woman traveling on the road. Now, that doesn't mean that I, you know, sometimes the hairs on the back of my neck don't get raised when I'm in the situation, but I think it has less to do with actual people interaction and more to do with like if I'm driving on a dark road by myself, and you know, my GPS is fucking up and it's a tight, windy road and next thing you know, the fog hits and you know, you wondering if you told everybody you love them because your signal is not on your phone working good. You know, I mean, that's stuff that I am more afraid of than actual interactions with people. Um, so let me tell you about my show tonight. Now, I perform at a lot of colleges throughout the school year. I've kind of scaled back because it's become a little bit more tedious for me to do these shows and not to say that I don't uh, I'm not grateful and I don't appreciate the opportunity to see the country and perform but I am 37 years old okay and when the students come and see me perform they do not know that I am 37 years old so there is a learning curve already in place when I step on the stage because there's a lot of things that I want to talk about an approach that they may not relate to or care to understand. I'm not saying that they don't understand, but the or care to understand. So I have to kind of play this dance where I'm performing and, you know, hitting on things that could be 
pushing it a little bit out of their comfort zone, but not too abrasive. I mean, it's a fine line. But at the show tonight, the students like really wanted me to be mean. Like they wanted me to basically curse them out. And I'm not that type of comedian. I like to talk about things. I like to take complicated situations and like, you know, make fun of them or bring attention to things or talk about my experiences. And I get it. I understand that the majority of the student body at the show was men. So already for young men, think 18, 22, 23 young men to sit and listen to a woman talk about her life is something that they have never had to do or wanted to do. So already right there is a disconnect, right? Because here I am being like, I'm a woman and I'm black and I'm from New York City. And I mean, I don't talk like that, but that's how they hear me. So they're like, all right, we already don't have nothing in common with this chick. So we just going to sit here because it's something to do because ain't nothing else going on. So that's part one. Second part is... <sighs> And I just exhaled. It's becoming more and more tedious to approach topics without somebody being offended. And I'm not even an offensive comic, but you can't really talk about politics or policy. Or if you do talk about it, there's a chance that they don't know what the hell you're talking about because they're of the age group where they're not paying attention to nothing. And I can't even blame them because when I was in college, I didn't pay attention to what the hell was going on in the world either. The most I did in college was vote when Bush was against Gore. And I was like, oh man, I got to vote for Gore. And then I stayed up all night and shit was too close to call. And I remember going to bed being like, Lord, if you up there in heaven, please, Lord, please let Al Gore win. And I woke up and he was like, up, oh, it's looking like George W., and I was like, Lord, I mean, I asked you for one thing, Lord. I asked you, I mean, maybe I asked you two things. I asked you to not be pregnant and for Al Gore to be president. And you came through on me not being pregnant, but you could have came through on Al Gazor. Like, can we not? Do you just think about how different this country would be if Al Gore became president? Now, I'm not saying that we wouldn't have terrorist attacks, terrorist attacks and all that jazz. But just think about like just how much more I it's tough. It's a tough call. It's a tough call. Like I came across this meme and it was and it said if you you have three options, option one is to meet your soulmate. Option two is to have a hundred million dollars. Option three is to have a time machine. Which one would you pick? Hands down, me, I'm picking a time machine. I want a time machine. I want a time machine right now. I want a time machine and I want to go back in time and I'm changing everything. No, not everything, but I want to change some key historical points. And it's interesting because when I was talking to other people about it, they was like, oh yeah, I want the money. A lot of people said they want the money. A lot. I mean, I was surprised. A lot of people said they wanted the money, $100 million. And I was like, I mean, I guess, but like, a time machine you could you can I could go back in time and I can invent the fried chicken wing you know how fucking rich my my legacy would be if I invented the fried chicken wing if I invented the buffalo wing, if I if I went back in time 
and invented the buffalo wing nigs. Do you know how rich my family would be? And I would patent it. I would have patented the buffalo wing. The sauce would have been patented where nobody else could have made it. And my family would be rich forever and ever. That's that's way more. That's way more than $100 million. I would be a billionaire. I would be a billionaire if I went back in time and invented the buffalo chicken wing. The sauce. Just the sauce alone. Like you would, you not elect, I would, I would pin, I would, I would trademark the name Buffalo Wing and I would patent the sauce. So if you wanted to make Buffalo Wings and sell them, you had to buy them from the Chloe Hilliard Buffalo Wing business and import it. Come on now. That's, that's a gazillion dollar business right there. So clearly people thinking short-sightedly a hundred million dollars is really nothing if you have a time machine, a time machine, if I had a time machine, I don't even think I would do, see a lot of people I talked to and they were like, I, if I have a time machine, I would go back and like, you know, bring somebody who passed away back or whatever. Mm, I wasn't even thinking that. I'm thinking big ticket items. I'm going back in time. I'm going back in time. I'm telling, um, Martin Luther King to switch places with Jesse Jackson on that balcony. Shady, but I said it. I'm telling Malcolm X to not go to Harlem, stay your ass over in Mecca, write some books and come back here and do a tour for the white people. But don't go to Harlem because, you know, they're going to get you if you go to Harlem, um, brother Malcolm. I would even go further back. I would go back to slavery days and give them guns i guess you want i do that now all right so let me ask y'all this question would you rather go back to slavery days and empower slaves to like have riots in in revolts and like you know give them like tools and weapons and stuff to like overthrow the master or would you go even further back to Africa and tell those cutthroat, no good snake ass Africans to not sell their own people to the European man in exchange for guns. Cause that's kind of what happened. Like if you really want to talk about the slave trade, it was African people who were trading and selling people who they had captured through like civil unrest and, you know, little, wars and stuff battles and they were taking those prisoners and they were selling them to you know the portuguese um this you know the spaniards the dutch and so on and so forth in exchange for weapons so and then once the europeans got greedy they started just enslaving the people who was actually selling slaves like oh since you ran out of your prisoners you might as well just take you and then that's how that went down. Um, that's your history lesson for this week. But would you go all the way back to Africa and be like, yo, don't let them off them boats. Keep your people here and figure it the fuck out. Or would you let that happen? And then I don't know. I think now that I say it out loud, I probably would go back to Africa and tell them not 
to let the Europeans dock their ships. It's kind of like the end of Apocalypto. I was just talking about Apocalypto. Apocalypto is a Mel Gibson movie before he um, was threatening his ex-girlfriend with a pack of niggas. He made this film called Apocalypto and it was actually pretty good. Um, Well, I say it's pretty good from my American viewpoint, but if you ask indigenous people of Mexico, they probably ain't really fucking with it. But basically it tells a story of, um, I believe a Mayan of a Mayan villager who has a day from hell, basically him and his boys um, leave the village to go hunting and they get captured by the soldiers from um, another village or like the big village, like the big town and they get captured so that they can be sacrificed to the gods. And so they end up being captured and enslaved and taken back to the big city. And they've never seen the big city before. So the big city is like all the big Mayan pyramids that, you know, you go to Cancun and you take your little day trip to Chichen Itza, those big pyramids. And so they go and they're trying to figure out how the hell to get away. They don't really speak the same language as the other people. So they're like lost and basically they have to like get their freedom and they get you know they get freed or whatever and he has to make it back to his village where his pregnant wife and young baby coincidentally were trying to hide from the soldiers so they fell into like a a hole in the in the ground and it starts raining the water fills up the hole it's a whole thing so she she trying not to drown with her baby and she pregnant he trying not to get his heart ripped out for the moon gods but at the end of the movie, he makes it back to his wife and you're like relieved, like, wow, he made through all of that. I mean, it takes place. I mean, I feel like it's like a day or two, but it's a two hour movie. But all of this shit happens in like 24 hours, maybe 26. So then at the end, at the end of it, um, he and his wife embrace and he's like, whoo, we made it back. And then he like looks over at the shoreline and it's like all of these big ships coming which is like letting you know that you know the europeans are coming over here about to fuck shit up and they were like oh what's that what's those what are those ships and you just looking at it like nigga no don't let them put their anchors down they gonna give you measles and mumps they gonna wipe y'all out so i think uh I think I would go back in time to Africa and tell them not to let them ships come through. But then that means it would change the history of the world. If Africa wasn't pretty much invaded and and depleted of its people and its natural resources, it the history of the world would be, I think, drastically different drastically different something to think about i'm not even high and i'm thinking about something like that but back to north dakota another interesting thing i've noticed when i travel especially when i come out here to like the midwest or the great plains whatever you want to call it is how much indigenous native american culture is present in everyday life and it's interesting because white people that live out here and they call this home in the heartland of America and they, you know, they uh, till the land and take care of the cows and they grow the crops and all this stuff. Like they don't even realize like how much of their culture or their vernacular, like especially the names of the towns are still 
the same names that the Native Americans called them. So when you have this mentality of being like, well, we're here and we're Americans, it's like, yeah, but you live in a town, in a county, in a state that still has the indigenous name for it. Like that is your evidence that you were not the first to occupy this land. So get it together. Okay. Um, so the town that I am in, um, I can't even pronounce it because it's a, an, indig- an indigenous name, but I don't want to fuck it up. So anyway, the town that I'm in, I asked them, I said, well, I'm only here for 24 hours. What should I do before I leave? So they told me that I should go and go down and see Whopper. And Whopper is a huge statue of a catfish. You heard me correctly, a catfish. So I'm going to go check that out tomorrow. I'm going to take a picture of me and this catfish. I like to do things locally. One time I was out this way. I don't know if it was North Dakota or South Dakota, but I found that near my hotel was an indigenous mound, like a preserved archaeological site of, of pretty much like not pyramids, but you know, mounds. And some were shaped like animals, like a turtle and a snake and all this other stuff. So, and it's so crazy because those things were legit in the backyard of like this prefabricated neighborhood. And so I guess they realized when they was doing the construction for like this little um, enclave of prefab houses that it was some like sacred indigenous land. And so they just didn't build back that, but they still build the houses. So when I'm like, trying to be a tourist you know bringing my bringing my little doe-eyed city girl energy to see oh i want to see where the native americans were making their ancestral land sacred literally this white woman was in her kitchen looking through the window like why the hell is this black woman walking in my backyard and i'm like no ma'am i'm not here for you i'm here to be connected to mother nature and the indigenous people of this country she was like bitch get the fuck out of my backyard before I call the cops she didn't know because I think she realized that I was legit like taking pictures of the mounds which did not look like the animals that they said on the internet but you just respected that it was something at some point and kept it moving so this town I asked them what should I do so they told me to go to the catfish and take a picture of me and a catfish I'm gonna do that tomorrow and then they was like also go and check out the sugar beet plant so this this town is known or this region is known for sugar beets and when they said sugar beets the only thing that came into my mind is a song from sesame street because you remember sesame street used to have like these musical videos where they would teach you about something really quick but it was just like two lyrics let me clear my throat because i'm about to hit y'all with the sugar beet song from sesame street Beep, beep, sugar, beep, beep, sugar, beep, 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 sugar, beep, beep, sugar, beep, beep, beep. Oh, and that was it. That was it. But it was like the best. First of all, um, as the young kids say, Sesame Street had some bops. Okay. Do they say that? I told you I'm 37. They had some bops. Okay. It went hard. Those songs, those songs, those Sesame Street songs went hard. So a sugar beet is a plant that they grow and they make sugar from it. Literally, literally like they, 
in the in the Sesame Street video, they um rinse them off. They put them in like look like a washing machine. They put them in there. They showed you the whole process from to getting it from the dirt. So they plucked it from the dirt, put it on a truck, then take it to the factory. They sorted them out. They put it in like this big washing machine. They cleaned it and then they would chop it up and all this other stuff and they got sugar. So that's how I knew about sugar beet. So I was like, ooh, sugar beet plant is going to smell good because it smells like, you know, sweet, sweet, sugary sugar beets. And they was like, no, it smells like shit. I was like, how the fuck sugar beets smell like shit? So, of course, the kids can't really explain it to me in the middle of my show at the start of my show actually but at the end the guy Lance this gentleman named Lance shout out to Lance served 25 years in the military retired now works part-time at the university um well college because it's a junior college but works part-time at the college doing sound and lights for the show so after the show he was like oh yeah the sugar um beats stink because they over um they overgrow the crop and he was like, it was supposed to be, you know, 100,000 um, acres that produce, you know, say, I don't know, one ton. I don't know, something like that. But now they do like more than that. So they're pushing the, the harvest to generate more. And so because they have so much more of the sugar beet, they just let them stay out in the sun until they're ready to like process them and so they start going bad and they start stinking and so now when they process it it's not like a fresh sugar beet it stinks and so that's why the town smells like ass (laughs) and then somebody else told me jeff who was the advisor that hired me to come and perform he was like well yeah normally when they have a really big harvest like everything shuts down and for like two weeks they process for 24 hours straight and so you can get a job and sometimes like you can get excused from your day job to go down and work at the plant for 12 hour shifts and make extra money because they have to process all of these sugar beets in two weeks time and so when you hear stories like this and you're like oh this is the america this is the America that you, the people that you hear on see on TV who are angry about everything. And you're like, I'd be angry too if I had to process sugar beets and have my town smell like shit. No, that's a joke. But, you know, their quality of life is much different and the things that concern them are much different than stuff that concerns me being a city dweller um, whose biggest concern is like alternate side of the street parking. So, I get it. I get it. It's hard. It's different. But that's why I'm so grateful for the opportunity to perform in such places like I'm going to try and pronounce the name of the city. Wapiton. Wapiton is W-A-H-E-P-T-O-N North Dakota. So I'm grateful for the opportunities that I have to perform. And I don't take it for granted. And I like the fact that I have to, you know, push myself outside of my comfort zone. Like I said, my show tonight, it was an okay show. It was my sec- it's my second show back on the road for the school year. And I got to be honest, my first show, I was outdoors, which is not the most ideal situation. I was in Ohio. Note to anybody that wants to produce a show, unless it is a comedy festival and everybody in attendance 
is there for a comedy show and the surrounding environment is conducive to comedy, then fine. But I was outside in the pavilion and no, like an open air stage situation and there was no seats and people sitting on the grass and my voice is bouncing off the buildings. It's not the most it's not the most um, supportive environment for live stand-up comedy. So that was my first show back. So I was hoping that my second show back would be even better because it was in a, like, you know, a nice theater stadium seat and then, you know, good crowd about a good, like 300, 350 students came out, which is great, uh, especially for North Dakota, no shade, but they were they wanted me to be mean and I don't like being mean. And because I've been told by my dear, dear friends who are also comedians that when I get, when I go back and forth with people, I go to the bone, like I cut deep and I don't like to do that. And I don't know how to not be any other way. So if you want to heckle me, my response to you is to make you want to crawl under a rock and that's just the only gear that I know. That's the only way I know to be. I cannot pull it back. And so when I have folks in the audience who are talking the entire show and then I have to give them attention, oh, you going to get this attention and this, and it's going to make you want to crawl under your seat. But the students loved it. They loved it. They loved when I shitted on somebody. They loved when I called people out. And I just have to figure out a fine balance between the two because I don't like being mean. I don't like it. I don't like it. And I know that, you know, people have different sensitivity levels. And that's the last thing you need is to say something to somebody and they'd be like, she was unprofessional and mean. And so I'm going to keep doing these um, misfit moments while I'm on the road for the next couple weeks because I want to uh, share with you guys what I go through when I'm on the road. So also, and it gives me somebody to talk to after my show because I'm in my hotel room by myself and my interactions with other people are at a minimum. Okay, minimum. So um, like I said, I'm in this town for 24 hours. I flew in today. I leave tomorrow. Uh, next place is Chattanooga, Tennessee. I'm there for two days. So I'm going to explore and then have my show uh, that I'm back home in New York for a little bit. And then I'm back on the road. So not even like I'm back home for like three days and I go back on the road. So um, I'm going to do these. I'm going to do this. My goal, my goal is to do an episode every time I'm in a different town. So I'll be taping and talking about what I'm dealing with. So you can have a sense of what it is to be a artiste finding your way making your way downtown to see the catfish statue. Yeah, my life as an artist. Um, thank you guys for listening. This has been another misfit moment. I'm about to turn this heat down. It's so high that it's making my throat dry. And I'm going to get some good rest and see you on the flip side. Well, not see you, but thank you guys for listening. I appreciate you. Do what you do and uh, think about how you would change the world if you had a time machine. There you go. That's a good thing to take away from this. All right, guys. Good night. Have a great day. Good week. 
all that jazz peace out Ooh, i'm so 37 i am 37 as fuck peace out who says peace out this old bitch does that's who so whatever goodbye